This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. <laughs> the human race will rise again. We were born for joy, and one day it will return to us as spring always returns, bursting with life and light after the freezing winter. The human race will rise again as the cold, hard, masculine mind opens up to the soft, warm spirit of the feminine, as our solid, frozen selves begin to melt and merge with nature again, and selfishness gives way to empathy and hierarchy to equality, and the impulse to connect transcends the desire for control. The human race will rise again as our senses begin to wake from centuries of sleep, and nature shines with sacredness again, and we're dazzled by the world's pristine beauty and awed by the depths of the meaning which reveal themselves beneath the old flat surface of reality. The human race will rise again and is slowly rising now. The shift is slowly settling. Balance is returning. A new structure is emerging. A pattern of vibrant new colors and shapes with a new kind of harmony, more complex and dynamic, in order that's stronger because it incorporates chaos, a sanity that's deeper because it arose out of madness. The human race will rise again. The war will end, and the world will heal, and life will no longer be a frenzied struggle, full of stress and fear, but a glorious adventure, full of grace and ease. No longer a punishment to be endured, but a privilege to be savored. We were born for wholeness, and we will be whole again. We were born for joy, and we will return to joy the human race will rise again by Steve Taylor. Valeria interviews Dr. Kieran Syed. She is a licensed clinical telepsychologist in the state of Hawaii, Texas, and Vermont. She is also a certified distance Reiki practitioner. She has treated clients from many different ethnic backgrounds and all walks of life. Her current areas of interest include grief, spiritual emergencies, anxiety, depression, treating caretakers, people in the helping professions, for compassion fatigue, burnout, relationship problems, quarter, mid, and late life crises, and psychedelic integration work. She speaks English, Urdu, and Hindi fluently. Meet Dr. Kieran at globalpsych.com. Here's the interview with Dr. Kieran Syed.
In your own words, who is Kieran Syed? In my own words, who is Kieran Syed? Okay, so I am a clinical psychologist. Um, that's obviously a large part of my identity. Um, and then I guess my name itself means ray of light in Hindi. And so I think that that's fitting. And um, I've always kind of tried to live my life in a way where I um, emphasize that in my day to day, you know, like, um, and so this is what I kind of do. Like I'm a therapist who helps kind of brighten up people's days. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. What inspired you to become a therapist, Karen? What inspired me to become a therapist? Well, I am South Asian. Um, I grew up in the United States of America, and I come from a culture that has its own uh, significant um, repertoire of issues. <laughs> and so and so I think I started recognizing this when I was around a teenager and then kind of became curious as I got older about um, just the field of mental health and, um, you know, like how how it ties in with South Asian populations. So I kind of went on that journey and that's what inspired me to um, become who I am today. Mm, yes, it's an interesting journey, a pattern kind of to become aware of that a lot of the choices that we make, they are kind of connected to how we feel, right, about in our own bodies. Of course. And our, our, just our life experiences in general. I think a lot of it was curiosity for me. It was like, you know, as a second generation child of immigrants, are other people experiencing the same things I am? You know, like, and if they are, how is it impacting them in the world that we live in today? And, you know, what are the differences between the way that we were raised and our parents were raised? You know, and this is with a lot of immigrants in America from different cultures. Like once you're born in the U.S., your your sense of identity and your culture that you identify with, you know, like and relate to changes from what your parents identify and relate to. And I think that, um gaining a better understanding of that and learning the clinic. There are clinical terms surrounding lots of these things, you know, like um, these confusions that kids go through. And I think that, you know, gaining that clarity was, you know, part of my journey, not just for myself, but then to help other people as well as I went through, you know, just life and having the experiences that I was having. And, um, and that's kind of what fueled it initially. And then eventually it just started expanding into like more and more like, like I went from researching certain topics like, you know, trauma in South Asian populations, things like that. But then like we were talking about before this whole thing started, like it turned into researching things about how do people manage grief after massive life things like a pandemic, you know, like it just shifted. And so, you know, your purpose kind of changes as life goes on. Um, but the initial the initial interest in it was was what I told you initially, like it was just kind of like learning how to bridge the gap between being, you know, like a second generation um, South Asian American female. And um, how do you how do you navigate that terrain with parents that have their own value systems? And how do you how do you operate with your own value systems? And everyone should be getting along while that's happening. And how do you make that happen? You know? mm, yes. Yeah. Wow. There's so much beauty in that kind of learning what we are meant to learn or being open to, to learning and unlearning as well and then passing that on to others. It's yes. the most beautiful thing I can think of. So thank you for being you, Karen, for thank doing you. this. 
And uh, let's see, I guess, yeah, I'll ask you this question now. What do you feel is the goal of healing? The goal of healing? Yeah. I think the goal of healing, the ultimate goal of healing is to come to a place of a peaceful, a peaceful place of acceptance with yourself and your life. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I love the word peace or the idea of peace. Yeah, that resonates true to me. And just, you know, like yeah. being peaceful and accepting where you are at life, like in life at, at that given point in your life, you know, like, and that is what we ultimately are all striving to do, right? I mean, some people would say happiness, but I don't know if it's so much happiness as it is like peace. Yes, I feel the same way, Karen. I really think peace is more important. Like, Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I feel the same way. And do you connect healing with spirituality? And if you do, what does it look like, this relationship between healing and spirituality? And also, what is spirituality to you these days? Okay, so the first part again, will you ask the first part again? Oh, yes. The connection between healing and spirituality. I mean, everyone has their own way of connecting to something greater than them if they believe that there's something greater than them out there you know and i think that that's what you know using that as a tool like when we're in grad school we're taught about like the biopsychosocial spiritual model right like it's like you're looking at the biology of someone when they are sick you're looking at their um you know psychology the way that they're thinking you're looking at their um um social functioning and where they are in the world and who's surrounding them and you know is it a healthy environment that they're in could that be influencing their healing process, you know, like, or making them sick or making them better. And then the spiritual piece comes in and it's like, is there a belief system that you have that helps you get through rough times, you know? And, and I think that that's basically what, what healing and spirituality kind of like represent to me. It's like, you're looking at all aspects of things and that is an aspect that's included. It has been throughout history for most people on earth. Are there people who are 100% atheist out there that believe in nothing or like, you know, complete nihilists that are like, yeah, there's nothing like, yeah, there are. But you know, when you look at just the majority, majority of people have something that they believe in that transcends their, you know, basic self and, they have this sense of that there's something greater than them out there, you know? So it's like, how do you incorporate that to help yourself get better and come to a place of acceptance and peace with circumstances that are in your life that might be less than ideal or whatever, you know? Um, so that is that piece. And then what was the second part of the question? Yeah. The idea of spirituality as a whole, how would you yes. define spirituality? Yeah. Oh, as a whole, for me, you asked me what it means to me now. That was a huge thing for me. So, you know, like, because I, I myself have gone through what most people would consider. Uh, it's really difficult for me to talk about still, but I mean, I'm starting to do it now pretty openly, but like uh, whatever they would call a spiritual awakening, you know, like I don't consider it a spiritual awakening because I don't like using that term. And I, there's something about that term that makes me feel like it's almost like there's a superiority like um, tone to it or like some kind of tone of like, um, of, of being elevated in some way above other people. And I don't think that that's what it is. Right. Like, I think it's more like, um, I like to think of it as consciousness expansion. And I think that fits in more with just the kind of work that I do for a living and being a clinician and studying the psyche. Like, 
using the term consciousness expansion to explain, you know, these growth spurts, I like to consider it a growth spurt of your consciousness that can happen for some people and a lot of people on earth right now is happening to like spontaneously, uh, the same way that, you know, teenagers have a spontaneous physical growth spurt that they can't control, you know, like, um, and, and they, it's like, there's some people that are five foot six and there's some people that are five foot eight. And then there's some people that are six foot three, you know, and we don't judge people by height, you know, like, and say that this person's better than that person because of just their height, you know? So it's the same kind of thing. It's like when you have a certain level of consciousness, it just means that you, you haven't had some experiences that someone else might've had. Some people are born at that like expanded consciousness level. There are people who are born completely woke, you know, there's kids nowadays that are being born like that. They're wild to observe, you know, but then there's some people that reach it solely through practicing their religion. And there's some people that reach it because they go through all these different kinds of traumas. And the next thing they know, they get thrown into it without their consent. And then they have no choice but to come out of the other end of it, feeling some other way than they were before they went in, you know, and usually it's probably more peaceful. They call it post-traumatic growth, you know, so that's how to the spirituality thing now is more of like a consciousness expansion. Mm, I love everything about it. it. It really resonates with me as well. Yeah, that's how I feel as well. Yeah. Yes. We don't want to walk around sounding like arrogant people, you know, <laughs> no. like, oh, we're spiritually awakened. It's oh, like, okay, yeah. and everyone else is asleep. Like, I mean, like, mm, you know what I mean? Like, yes. No, they're not. They're just going through their own experiences at their own pace, you know, at the pace that they're, I don't know if it's a DNA thing. Sometimes I wonder too, you know, like if it's like programmed in us, like it's, it's like just like your height is like, it's like they're just going through it at their pace and we can't sit there and judge whether we think we're better than them or not. So that term, I feel like I personally feel like needs to be put away for a little bit. Yeah. Yes. The way you say that, it makes a lot of sense to me because to me, it's actually exactly the opposite. What do you call it? Consciousness expansion. It makes us even more humble. Yes. More compassionate, more empathetic. Yes. It's quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah. The second you bring in the term spirituality, what's the next word that comes to your mind right after that? Religion. And as soon oh. as you bring religion into it, <laughs> the, the separation starts. Yes, you know? we don't want that. Yeah. When you, have, talk, when you right, say the word right. consciousness, <laughs> it doesn't elicit that same huh. split. Yes. Very good observation, Kira. I love that. Yes. A billion times to that truth and for this observation that you're making. Yes. I guess the next question is, talk to me about the experience of consciousness expansion for you. What did that feel like? Huh? How? Okay, so it's so long. You're going to have to, because <laughs> yeah. it's on time. It's been 13 years. Like, you're going to have to, like, kind of um, ask me about specific aspects of it or, like, what uh, it has to be more specific because it could just be like a very long thing. Mm, so it has been happening for 13 years. Yeah, mine was one of those. Okay, so there's three different kinds. You know, there's a kind where you're born that way, which I had mentioned earlier. And then there's the kind that can happen gradually uh, without your consent. And then there's a kind that happens spontaneously all of a sudden, you know, like um, people who have near-death experiences and things like that, like car accident or whatever, they can have something like that happen. So mine was the gradual without my consent. <laughs> ah, gradual without consent. <laughs> and it's consent. been 13 yeah. years and I don't think it's over yet. It's still in process, but definitely, you know, was not something that I had ever thought A, would happen to me. B, that, you know, like um, 
I would even know how to handle it once it started. Um, it was wild, you know, and, and the experiences that I had were so profound and there was no one to talk to about it because like, it's such a sensitive thing. It could be easily, easily mixed up with, you know, like someone having psychotic experiences. So like, it's like, you have to be very careful, especially when you're a clinician, if you're a psychologist, like, you know, what you're telling your therapist, because they might, if it's not the right therapist, they might actually think that there's something else going on. So a big part of my learning experience throughout my own thing, and especially after the book that we're going to talk about, one of them was when it came to me literally after meditating while I was doing the dishes, the name of it, like when I looked it up and I found it, it was like, it gave me the, the ultimate answers that I needed to not only understand what was going on with me, but then like really be able to clinically differentiate between my patients who are going through this or who have an actual like, you know, episode of like some kind of mania or psychosis or whatever, you know. Right. So, oh, wow. So this yeah. is, might be a good time for that question. I'll go back to your own experience of consciousness expansion. I love that the way you say that. Of course, I have heard the term before, but it's yeah. the, the one that's more common in spiritual awakening. So we, yeah. which I don't really talk a lot about it here, but let's go back to this because it caught my attention. That was a topic that really caught my attention because I have had the experience too. I have been having those mystical experiences yes. pretty much all my life. Yes. And I remember kind of uh, when I understood more and started reading about psychology, I'm like, oh my God, so I'm, I'm bipolar or maybe I'm schizophrenic or maybe yeah, no. I was just diagnosing myself. No. And that was not the case. And no. then I knew, I knew it was not the case. Yeah. But it could have, you're right, it could have been easily misinterpreted. I have, when I was working in community mental health here in Hawaii, there were so many clients that I had that would come into my office that were actually having these kinds of experiences and were really over-medicated, way over-medicated on things that they didn't need to be medicated on, you know. And then once, you know, um, at that time, I didn't know, I didn't have the depth of information that I have now to work with them, you know, but I did sense, and even some of the physicians that I worked with had sensed that they didn't need to be on those meds, you know, and they asked me, like, do you think we can wean down? And I was like, yeah, definitely, you know, and we used to wean them off slowly. And, you know, like they would start feeling better after that. And then I would allow them to openly talk about these. Ex I mean, I had one I will never forget. Like he used to take words, like the word world and break it apart into pieces somehow. I don't remember how exactly he did it, but then it would turn into something profound. And, and he did that with multiple words out of the dictionary, you know, like it was like, and I was just like, why don't you write, why don't you have a book where it takes what you do with these words and like publish it, you know, like, because, because it was like, he was like, world doesn't just mean world. The W is this and the O is, this. and then he would break it apart into things that made total sense. You know, I was like, this is not, I'm like, it's not delusional. I'm like, what you're saying makes sense, you know? And so like, so I told him, I used to try to push him to like, you know, write the book, write the book, but he just, you know, he wasn't there yet. I think that some people have to have faith in themselves too, you know, like you could have someone have faith in you, but you have to also get there. But, um, yeah, so that, you know, like, um, I think working in clinical settings helped me, that book helped me. And so if you want, you want to know the, what the differences are? Oh yes. That, that was one of my first questions, right? About the difference. How can we distinguish for ourselves even the difference between, I think you call it complicated grief, trauma, spiritual emergencies, Yes, and yes, spiritual emergencies, yes. exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, the difference is, is that one of the big differences, I think, is that most people who have a manic episode, a full-blown manic episode, will have 
the extra burst of energy sometimes that they talk about um, that can actually be synonymous with the burst of energy that people who have a Kundalini awakening might have. Right. Um, but there's other behaviors that come along with it. Right. It's not just the burst of energy. It could be staying up all night and getting a bunch of things done. It could be like, you know, going on like a drinking, you know, like just binge and going out there and having like a sexcapade and sleeping with like all these different people and wiping out your bank account, you know, during a manic episode by buying things that you really don't need. Like people go and they purchase like boats or they'll go buy themselves a new car or they'll like, you know, like and their spouses get frustrated because they're like, he, they just spent all this money on something that we don't need. And, and so, you know, they, there's these other things that come along with it. With schizophrenia, there's a affect that comes along with it, a flat affect, you know, like there's also, you know, like, um, the, 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 what, if they're hearing voices or they're seeing things, what is the context of that? You know, like, and how does it feel to them? If the voices are negative and if they are, you know, uh, cruel and mean, and sometimes, you know, like coming at you with like instructions to do things that are harmful to you or others, that's a huge red flag, you know, but the difference between the voices that they hear and the internal voices that that psychic people who have clairaudience or clairvoyance you know or the images that they see is that theirs aren't like like negative like that in that way you know like it's not like and it'll be usually like short little for people who are going through consciousness expansion and and have tapped into that ability to be able to get the messages from the other side or whatever they come in when they feel like it sometimes you know like it could be while you're waking up out of your sleep in the early morning that's often when I get my things or like when you're doing something benign, like driving a car or washing your hair or doing the dishes, it could be just like a passing little thought sentence. And they're very brief. They're just like brief little snippets of information that just get plopped into your head. And you're kind of pretty positive that it's not you because you didn't know about that thing before it happened, you know, and it's not like telling you to, it's not an instruction Usually that's, and if it is an instruction, it's not going to be like a negative, harmful instruction. It's always, most people describe it as peaceful or like guiding or like something that actually helps save their life, you know, in a moment, like, like turn the car left instead of going on this road, you know, like, and, and, and then that avoided them from being in this accident that just happened, you know, like, so that's one of the things that I look for when I'm asking them these questions is what are they saying? And did any of what they say end up being true or whatever, you know, like, or is it just like all like, you know, gibberish that, you know, like is um, causing you distress. And then you have to look at their hygiene. People who are going through, you know, like consciousness expansions and things like that, they keep up. I mean, I, I did, I, for the most part, I did go through like mood things in here, here and there, but like I was able to keep up with my life, but people who have like schizophrenia are not able to keep up with their life like that often um, depending on the severity of it, but like their hygiene goes down the drain, you know, you want to look at like, are they able to maintain relationships with other people? You know, when people are going through a consciousness expansion, they do often lose friends, but it's usually because their value system has changed and they don't see the world the same way that their friends do anymore. So that, like, they can't relate anymore and they get uncomfortable with topics of conversation that can come up with them and stuff. Whereas with schizophrenic people, they just don't want to be around anyone sometimes, you know, if they have that social piece where they're, you know, socially off, like with the schizotypal and avoidant and things like that, like they'll just kind of, you know, keep to themselves and they don't have an interest 
in other humans. Whereas when you see people with consciousness, they're almost like starving to find other people like them and, you know, like f connect with people that understand what they're talking about. Whereas the other one does True. not have that need at all, you know. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So these are uh, many, many uh, characteristics that, I mean, you just being very specific I yeah, lo I love how clear you, you are about this. That book is really helpful in, in explaining some of this stuff, you know, but these are just observations that I've made with just doing my own research as well and working with different people who I have patients who are going through this, you know, like and um, and and they are so grateful when they find someone that they can openly talk about it with and help them understand some of the things that are happening to them. The Kundalini thing is wild. You know, I mean, that could easily be uh, easily Someone could easily say you're having a manic episode, you know, because of that burst of energy that comes, um, which is so uncomfortable, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Have you had that as yes. well, Karen? Oh, yes. you have. So, you know, yes. yeah, what it feels like. I didn't like. know what happened either. You know, like, um, I really did not know what was going on. Um, and then one of my friends here in Hawaii, my friend Anna, she was the one who explained it to me. When I told her what happened, I was like, I don't know how to explain it. I'm like, it was like a period of like two, three days of like literally no physical pain in my body. And I'm kind of achy sometimes. I was like, you know, on like some kind of feeling of like bliss. Like I was really nice to everyone around me, <laughs> yes. which is like, I mean, I'm nice to people, but not that nice, you know, yes, <laughs> but yeah. I felt like one. And then the trees, I just remember every time uh, I looked at it and there were no drugs involved or anything. I just remember every time I looked at a tree. Like it looked like its own entity with its own personality. And it was very vivid. Like the trees were very vivid. I, I remember the trees, like particularly after that. And I remember this lasted for like about a week, maybe. And then slowly it started fading away. And then I went back to my normal self. And then it happened again. And so it comes in cycles. And she had explained that to me. She goes, it's going to be cyclical. And, you know, like you're one of the people, I guess there's some people who try to make it happen for them. And that's not a good idea because you're, if you're going to let it happen naturally, then that means that your body's ready for it naturally. And then I, I'm kind of intuitive, obviously. And so then I was like, when, when it started happening again, without my consent, I was like, I knew what was happening. And then I knew how to manage it. Like, you just really have to make sure that you eat every few hours, because if you don't eat then it really can go haywire the energy in your body. You have to make sure that you're, you know, walking, walking, <laughs> like moving your body as much as you can. I was going on hikes just to get the exercise and, you know, like, and, and that helped kind of like clear out some of it. And, you know, like then it lasted for about a week and a half or two, and then it went away again, you know, so it, it does it in phases for me. And, uh, it's very uncomfortable when it happens because it's just so much and you're, it's in your back almost like, and it, it feels like a pressure sometimes, like, a pressure cooker, you know? Right. Yes, I have interviewed some people here. So who have, weird. Yeah, they not just have had themselves, but they also teach others how to do it. But I know that you don't recommend that, right, actually? I don't know anything about teaching it. I don't know anything about, I didn't even know anything about it, you know? Yeah, so just, right. I mean, just imagine, like, yes. someone who knew nothing about these yes. things just slowly starts having mm. one thing after another start happening to them. And you're just like trying to make sense of all of it, you know, like, and it comes and goes in phases as it pleases. And I just kind of naturally let it. But I think that, you know, along with all of that, like I've changed a lot, I think, as a person, big time. Yes, I can imagine. I guess the question that comes to mind, did you see the connection between that, the Kundalini awakening manifestation and the experience with, I know you lost your father and then I know you went. Kundalini happened after dad's death. 
Ah, but after. the experience right. started before dad died. Okay. I knew I knew when to go I, I'm not I'm not making this stuff. I knew when to go back to Houston before my dad died. I also was instructed to stay in Hawaii and I couldn't understand why. Like, you know, like I have a Reiki lady here who is, I will actually say her name because it's worth it. Her name is Kara Zal and she is incredibly amazing. And she has been one of my mentors throughout everything and just really has helped me a lot. So Kara, you know, like started explaining to me some of the things I was going to while I was working at the community health clinic. And I still didn't understand all of it, but I would just go to her for a massage because she's a Reiki masseuse person. And I felt like my my experience after I would walk out of her office was always so positive and I always felt so much better. But I didn't really understand what Reiki was because I'm not from Hawaii. I'm not Japanese. I had no clue what it was, you know, um, but I started getting that stuff done. And then as she was working on me, you know, things were expanding at the same time. So, you know, the first thing was when he got diagnosed with the cancer, I mean, you know, like we're brought up, I'm from, you know, um, one of the monotheistic faiths, you know, like I was brought up Muslim, right? Like, I mean, not practicing. Our family was very like secular. Um, We, my dad was a physician and he was very liberal. So we didn't grow up in a conservative religious household at all, you know, like not at all. And, um, and so I've always naturally been open to other experiences and things, but generally speaking, the community that my parents hang out with and the other friends that I've had growing up, their families were a little bit more conservative than ours. So, you know, like I had a group of people that were just some way that, you know, I was a little bit different than them, but that's kind of who I grew up with. And those belief systems are kind of embedded in us. And one of them is, you know, like in the Bible too, and every other religious book, it's like honor your parents, you know, like, and the parent is the most important, your mom is the most important thing. And, you know, like, and all of this. And, you know, I had gone through some experiences with family where I needed a break from them. And I had moved to do my doctorate. And then, you know, like, when I got to Hawaii, a few years after I moved here, my dad got diagnosed with the cancer. And so, you know, like, that was really jarring. And then it was like, I had built my life here, I had a full time job. And of course, any child would be like, should I go back home? Like, should I pack up everything that I've created and and leave and go back to be there? And and then I was kind of like, I don't know if that's the best idea, you know, like and, and I didn't know what to do. And so my Reiki lady was like, she gave me a book to read. Gabby Bernstein, actually, the universe has your back. Everyone knows who she is, you know, like and who's a part of this whole world. And um, and so, you know, like there was an exercise in there where you ask for the animal, the first animal that comes to mind. So that was, I would say hands down. I had other little experiences before that that were pretty profound, but the biggest one that I think made me really start believing in this stuff was that experience where I picked the animal and then shortly after, very shortly after, while I was sleeping, something gave me like a little instruction and I followed it and then, you know, the animal appeared, you know, like after that. And when that happened, it was a monarch butterfly. And I picked it because they were going extinct. And I had read an article about it. So I wrote it down in my journal. And I was like, you know, if I'm on the right path and I'm supposed to stay in Hawaii and not move back home, please show me this animal. And then in my sleep, something was like, I want you to, as I was waking up out of my sleep, it was like, I want you to turn around and I want you to look inside of your closet. And inside your closet, there's a blue shirt. And on that blue shirt, you'll find a monarch butterfly. And then I did. And I didn't even know that I had that shirt. I had only worn it like once or twice, you know. And then when I saw that there was a butterfly on the back of the shirt and it was a monarch, I was like, that can't be real. That was my first thought. And then the second one was, I need more evidence. 
And when I asked for more evidence, I got the evidence. It was literally like there were monarch butterflies everywhere. Like anywhere I went, someone would have it on a tea. And it was not like I primed myself. It was more like even if I told like someone that I really cared about the story about it, they would they would see the butterfly immediately right afterwards and send me a picture of it and be like, is this the butterfly you're talking about? So I only told it to people I actually really trusted, you know. So I couldn't understand why, why the universe or God or whatever you want to call it would tell me to stay even though my dad was sick. And I and and then and then a part of me was like, listen to it because anyone else would, you know, and, and I told my family, I was like, I'll be there. I'll help you guys out as much as I can. I'll go back and forth. But, you know, like on a personal and spiritual level, I don't think I'm supposed to leave Hawaii. So I didn't. And it caused a lot of problems. And, you know, there were there were resentments that happened between my sister and I. There was a lot of stuff to work through. But I kind of followed my own guidance that I got. And I know now why I got it, because my dad died the week the pandemic went down. If I had back to Texas at that time when the pandemic was happening in full blown, I probably would have lost my mind. There's no way I would have been able to do the work that I had to do for those like two, three years of the pandemic being at home in spring Texas. Like there's just no way I could have done it. You know, like I know I'm not capable of it. So I was just like, I know why it happened now in retrospect, you know, and, and I needed to be here. I needed to have my space to be able to do the work that I did during that time. But I would never have known before that happened. It told me the day he was going to die, like I, I, I knew the exact time frame that he was going to pass away. And then I knew the day he was going to die, like because it was prepping me for all of it, whatever it is, you know. And so it was all in my sleep that I was getting the messages. But the day he was going to die, I had patients scheduled. Imagine having your schedule being booked by your patients every single day before his death. The entire calendar was like completely booked out day. Every day I was seeing patients every slot was booked out. And then imagine every day after the day he died was booked out. But there was one Thursday that was just left open on my calendar. And I remember at that point, I had become a remote psychologist for the first time. So I did go home and I helped take care of him before he passed. But like, I remember seeing that blank Thursday and everyone was in denial. No one wanted to admit that he was going to die soon. And I was like the only doctor who had their head on straight. I felt like emotionally with everything. And I, and the real, the reality of the, the, the situation of him leaving soon. And the thing had warned me that it was going to be end of, it said it was going to be end of March, beginning of April of 2020. And he died. I think it was like March 17th or 18th. I can't remember the exact date, but it was, it was exactly that time frame, you know, and and when I saw that empty day, I'm like, that's the day he's going to die. So I told them, does anyone have the graveyard set up yet? Do we have I mean, anything done? And they're like, no, I'm like, you guys need to get the grave set up. You know, like I'm like, he's going to pass, I think, on Thursday, like you guys need to get this done. And so my my one uncle kind of believes me about these things. And he kind of heeded my warning, went and got everything set up. He died exactly on Thursday. It was the first day of spring, Nauru's of 2020. Yes. Wow. So you have, you're being guided by your own energies. Yeah. Some people call the true self, you know, the essence, the soul. That's, yeah. I don't know. Whatever it is. (laughs) Yes. You know, it knows me really well. (laughs) It does. It does. Of course. Yeah, of course. It's beautiful though to hear these, uh, yeah, I, well, I can't, 
what can I say? I've, I've been through this as well myself. And yeah. I talk to people all the time. That's what I live for anyway. To be, I mean, you have dedicated guided. your life to it, you know, like yes. and it's actually yeah. working. Like I saw how many followers you have on YouTube. And I even when you guys contacted me, I couldn't believe that you contacted me because I'm like, how did they even find me? Like, I only have like 160, like maybe Instagram followers. Like, I don't really actively market myself. I have no clue how your team found me. Like, yeah. And it's yeah. not about not, not even it's not about that, though. Well, what's guiding me to it's kind of bringing all these amazing people. Yeah. Amazing in a sense of that they are listening. They are listening to their voice, their intuition. You know, it the, is so amazing to me that you found me uh, about this specific topic, because this is my topic. Ah, uh, yes. And do you openly talk with your clients about this? So I did not. I did not like for the longest time, like I, because obviously like it's a sensitive thing and you know, like, but after my dad died and the pandemic went full blown and all my patients started losing people, like either people that they knew at school or it was like family members that suddenly died because of COVID. I was in the thick of death right after my dad's death. Like, you know, like it was just death. That's all it was for one whole year, <laughs> like death everywhere. And, and I was like trying to think about a way that I could help them get into what we were talking about when the acceptance stage of grief, you know, like, like, you know, they're going through the five stages, anger, depression, they didn't get vaccinated. They were just pissed, you know, like everyone was angry and like, or, or there was no vaccine at that point. So they were just angry that there was, there was, it was so sudden. And now they're like a single mom and what am I going to do? You know, and, and, and the grief and the depression and all of that. But then there, I was like, how do I get them to at least get back to like a little bit towards neutral or like acceptance and not take away from the fact that they have lost that person in their physical form. Cause I already knew at that point after my dad died, our, and I'll tell you the most profound stories, the two most profound ones out after his death, but like, but you know, there were two big things that happened after he died that, that led me to then down the rabbit hole of, of what, you know, finding out how they communicate with us. And am I experiencing what other people have? And I was, and then I'm like, okay, this is real. So I'm like, if I can, if I can have it happen to me, I'm pretty sure my patients have had things that have happened to them after they lost their loved ones. And maybe they're not recognizing these things as a big deal, or they might not take it as seriously as they should, but their loved ones are probably trying to connect with them to show them that they're okay the way that my dad did, you know? And, and so then at that point, then, you know, I kind of just, um, uh, slowly started giving them some books to read here and there. But after the documentary surviving death on Netflix came out, that's when I decided on a personal level, because I'm in private practice and I can do what I want with my practice. I don't work for anyone. That's when I decided that I will openly talk to my patients about this without holding back or feeling like I'm doing something wrong. Because I don't know who Leslie Keen is until I saw that documentary. I did not know. But that woman, the documentary that she created is so life changing, not just for me as a clinician, but so many of the people who probably watched it during that time because it was released February of 2021 I think and by then I knew and understood all of this stuff that had done so much reading on my own in that year and when I didn't even know that documentary was going to come out but when I saw it there was a monarch butterfly on the cover of it and I started watching it and it's like a six-part series of people and their experiences and the different ways that they encountered the deceased after they died you know and uh, it was there's a whole part on psychic mediums and there's like a part on doctors and clinicians like me 
who were literally experiencing the same things or have had patients who told them stories about these things. And then when I saw that there were other doctors and clinicians like me, physicians, scientists, you know, like, like there's a whole community of people out, educated doctoral level people out there like me that are in physics and biology and, you know, like science and, and, uh, MDs and PsyDs and psych PhDs that are, that are saying that this stuff is real. Then I was like, why am I so hesitant of talking about it? I should just, you know, like I, I need to join that group somehow, not like run away from it, but just kind of be one of those people. Like, and then I decided I'm not going to try to shy away from it anymore. And I'm just going to talk to my patients about it. Mm, so, yeah. But I always ask them because, you know, therapies don't, I always ask them, what is your belief system? Before we even go during the diagnostic interview, I will always ask them, like, what organ, what religion were you born into? Do you still follow that? You know, like on a scale of one to 10, how religious are you? Um, are you open to talking about experiences that are maybe outside of what you learned growing up? And I'd say 90% of the people who find me anyways, already know I'm kind of that kind of person because I've kind of made my profiles in that way. And so they, they, they assume that I'm spiritual, but not that religious, you know? Um, but I will tell them that if you are into an organized religion, then I can work with you in that aspect. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to put my own views on them, but I think that, you know, the ones who come to me that are open to kind of thinking outside the box about things, they're the ones who really, they've had the experiences after we talked. And they're also the ones who really very quickly, I found, you know, like get to that place of acceptance. And even though they are still grieving the loss of the physical body of the person, they now have a better understanding of the fact that they can still connect and they still have lots of interesting means to connect, you know, whether it be through a medium that you hire or whether it be like, you know, through meditating and asking a question and getting the answer from them, like, or just, you know, like, um, the signs that they give and the different ways that they show you that they're around. It could be through an experience with an animal, or it could be like finding feathers over and over again, or the coins or whatever the signs are. And there's a, these are universal signs that lots of people report that they've had happen to them after someone passes, you know? Mm, yes. You see, and it's all about education or knowledge, right? Karen? Yeah. The more we know about about these things, the less afraid we are even. And it's like knowing, understanding how it operates too. So, you know, like it's like people get really sensitive. If you're Muslim, it's like, and you say, oh, you know, this dragon, like if you go on my Instagram, you'll see the dragonfly story. But my dad visited right after his death. There was this like beautiful red dragonfly that came into our garden. And I had never seen one in my life. I mean, I've seen lots of dragonflies. I've seen like blue ones and, and, you know, other colored ones, but not in our garden. We don't, we never got dragonflies in the 20 years we've been in that house, but this bright fire engine red one, I remember like showed up and then this fire engine red dragonfly goes and like, you know, sits on my mom and it's like letting her pet it. And it's like letting me take like a whole photo shoot of it. And it hung out for like way, way longer than it should have. And I was like, this is really weird. You know, like, I mean, it was just, this is not normal. So then I went and I Googled it and I'm like, what is this animal? Like, what is a red dragonfly? <laughs> and that's when I found all this information about the red dragonfly, different cultures in the world, Japan, Native American people, you know, like it's considered a visitation from the deceased. It's linked to something with death. And, you know, like um, the, the stories behind it, like and what what they represent were very accurate with my dad's stuff, you know. Um, and so then I was like, OK, this makes sense. And then, you know, the then the other story that I was that that I wanted to tell you about that I think is just mind blowing was 
the animal thing that happened with my sister. So, I mean, when all this happened, obviously we grew up in this culture and this religion and, you know, there's a certain belief system around that and they know that I'm kind of different, but I was trying to get them to calm down, my own family to calm down. And I was trying to tell them like, he's around, you need to just ask him to show you a sign or something, you know? And I tried to have my sister understand we had a, we had a medium come to the house and that was profound, you know, like, um, and, and she connected, but my sister was still really skeptical and she was not getting over his death the way that I was able to come to peace with it. So then, you know, like she knew about the red dragonfly thing and because she's younger and younger siblings just always want to have all the experiences their older ones do. Like it's just one of those things. She wanted to know how he would come to her as an animal if he came to her, you know. And so then she starts reading this book that someone gave her to read. I don't know if she found it on her own, but it's by this woman named Laura Lynn Jackson. And she's um, a very famous psychic medium in America. And it's called The Light Between Us. And so in that book, I guess Laura says that, you know, like, if you want to connect with them, just ask them out loud to show you something. So there was one day where when I was in Hawaii, my sister, she like um, she she calls me. At like around like four o'clock in the morning, Texas time, it was midnight, my time. And she's in this like frenzy. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she was like, I just saw daddy in my dream. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, I think he just visited me in my dream. And I go, they do that. And I go, what happened? What did he say? And she goes, he, he whispered in my ear. We were at an airport. All of our family was there. And he said something like, you know, like, I'm so done with the chemo and I'm ready to go. And I just need to, you know, I'm ready. I'm done. I need to go. And my sister was just like, but if you leave, like, how am I going to find you? You know? And, and he was like, you'll find me in the white lion. (laughs) Uh Okay. Now listen to this. No, this gets crazy. Uh All right. So no, this is like, honestly, Uh this is crazy. He goes, you'll find me in the white lions. She goes, Kieran, is there such a thing as a white lion? I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm like, I've never heard of that animal before. Uh-huh. And then I Google it. Yes. And I'm like, there is such a thing as a white lion. Uh-huh. I go, there's only 12. At the time, there were only 12 on planet yes. Earth. This yeah. was 2020. Yeah. And I was like, there's only 12 of them. I'm like, they're really endangered. Like they're going extinct. And she was just like, where are they? And I'm like, they're in this place in Africa called Timbavati. And I was, and she was like, can we go there one day? And I go, yeah, I guess we can go there after the pandemic is over. She was like, he said that I'll find him in the white lion. And I was like, well, we'll go to Africa when the pandemic yeah. is over. <laughs> yes. and, and then I was just like, that's so weird, you know? And it's such a beautiful lion. Like, if you look at it, it is so stunning. And I'm like, my dad was really into, like, unique, exotic things, you know? So the red dragonfly was exotic, and then this was exotic. And I'm like, okay, like, what is he doing, you know? And then my curiosity kicked in, and I started researching this white lion, and I find out that in Africa, of course, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of an encounter with the deceased. If you see one, you've saw you you've encountered the deceased. That's basically okay. In ancient African shamanism, that's what it is. And there's a lady named Linda Tucker, and she is the keeper of the white lions, the 12 of them in Africa. She is the one in charge of them in that sanctuary in Timbavati. So I find out this wild information, and I'm like, okay. And then I forgot about it. Then about a month or two later, homegirl is going to Vegas with her boyfriend and they're on the plane and she's reading that book. And then she out loud kind of asks my dad, she goes, daddy, if you wanted to show yourself to me in a white lion, or you said you're going to be in one, can you show it to me in any form, any form so that I believe this stuff? And it doesn't have to be the real one because they're in Africa, but just any white lion. She gets out of the 
cab in Vegas. They go check in, start wandering around hotels. And she sends me a picture of a statue of a white lion first. And she goes, oh, my God, look, I was on the plane and I said this. And there's a white lion statue that I found right afterwards. She goes, I don't know why, but I feel like he's here for some reason. Like, I can feel his energy. She's like, I feel like he's here with me. I go, he probably is. I told you this stuff is real, right? So then she forgot about things. And then they were there for a couple more days. Then they go to the blackjack table. And they're playing blackjack. And the the dealer is, like, talking to them. And he was like, what have you guys been up to? And she's like, nothing, you know, like, um, everything's kind of closed. We've just been eating and whatever's open, we'll go do that. And he was like, you know where you should go? And she's like, where? He's like, you should go to the Mirage. And she's like, why? He's like, because there's, there's a white lion there. And she's like, oh, you mean the statue? And he's like, no, not the statue. There's an actual white lion there. And you could just imagine, like, like she just went crazy. She was like, I need to go. I need to go. She's like, we need to go, like, immediately. And so she goes to go see one of the 12 white lions on this planet that somehow got stranded in Las Vegas before the pandemic started, because once the pandemic happened, they had shut off the flights back to Africa, and then they were housing him there until they could fly him back to where he belongs. So in the meanwhile, he was hanging out in the Mirage. Now she goes and she gets the ticket, and she's waiting in line to see this animal, and he's sleeping. He doesn't want to wake up for anyone. And everyone who walks by the, the glass thing, like, you know, to look at him does not get to have any experience with him because he's taking a nap. But when my sister walked up to the cage and mm. we have the pictures and after this, I'm going to send them to you. So you believe wow. me there. Oh, I believe you already. <laughs> the, lion, the, <laughs> the lion opened his eyes <laughs> when she walked up to the thing and her boyfriend took a picture of it opening its eyes. And then it like stared at her for a second and then it got up on its haunches and moved its head forward and stared at her some more for a few seconds. And then it like sat back down again and just kept on staring at her. And then it went back to sleep again. And she cried and she cried and she cried and she goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I know it was him. I know it was him, you know. And then, you know, like her boyfriend was just like, we got to go. And she's like, no, I don't want to go. You know, and she sat there for a while. And then finally, like, you know, when she stood up to leave, it woke up again. It looked at her again. And it made eye contact and then it went back to sleep and then whatever. So, you know, what I help people try to understand is, is even if you come from an organized religion, you don't believe in reincarnation, right? That gets people really riled up because that's like they don't believe in that. So I'm like, it's not about that. I'm like, it's like their energy channels things. And in that moment, my dad can channel the dragonfly and make it do things. And then and then the, his energy can leave the dragonfly and then go do whatever it does. And I'm like, and in that moment, his energy can channel the white lion and make it wake up and look at my sister. And then his energy can leave, you know? So I'm like, that's how it works. Like, and so once you understand this, you just understand it then, you know, like the white lion thing is wild. I mean, the, the, the statistical chances of that happening are like nothing. Right. And you see, because this is consciousness, which is what sustains reality this it's so amazing shared reality it is yeah, it's so everywhere. magical you know it's yes. magical so when they use the term miracle or they say mm. magic you know like this is what they're talking about yes yeah absolutely karen uh, i love your enthusiasm it's almost like a celebration to this truth <laughs> it's so beautiful empowering to yes. not like sit yeah. there grieving for years on mm. end over something when you realize that it's nothing to grieve about you know like it's like and and that actually your relationship with them can be so much stronger afterwards. Like the information that he has given me is priceless. He wouldn't have been able to give me this information if he was 
alive still because he didn't think like that. You know, like it's like now his own consciousness has expanded, I think, on the other side. It continues. Right. And then he's able to drop pieces of information to us. Like, I mean, for her, it was enough to see the white lion to make her stop grieving. But for me, what my dad did was incredible. My dad sent me down like a whole rabbit hole of learning about power animals and shamanism and Native American medicine and all these different things that I would never have even fathomed that I would ever be reading about unless this had happened. You see, yeah. So in a way, it, we need to be open to be ready for it, uh, as you said, too. You have to be ready yes. for it and you have to be, I think, kind of smart to a little bit, you know, like you have to understand how it works. And like, if you're witty and you have a good sense of humor, because they mm. do have a sense of humor, <laughs> yes, you know? yes. um, they're kind of playful sometimes, you know, like, uh, and like, you know, like if you, if you have that in you and you believe in this, like that, that, that there's other possibilities than, than everything you've been told your whole life, it, it will start revealing itself to you slowly, you know? And it is in such a beautiful, like methodical, sometimes like just uh, playful and fun way and it makes life interesting again, you know? Yes, yes. Uh, to me, it's just wonderful to see people like yourself and so many people who are scientists of the mind kind of open up to the depth of what holds the mind, actually. <laughs> What's overarches the mind. The mind is just one Ah, uh, it's just one piece of consciousness. So consciousness has it's so much more. I mean, so much deeper. So thank you so much for being open to it. It's just incredibly, it's a gift to humanity, though, when we I are. I mean, you know, and with the white lion thing, it, it didn't end at the white lion. So <laughs> it didn't. Eventually, you know, like I went down this rabbit <laughs> hole of learning about these animals, the shamanic animals, and somehow that led me to this. This is important. This is actually really important. Like I want, uh, hopefully you'll edit this and this piece needs to be in it. So like what happened was I found an article about Chief Arvel Looking Horse. He's the leader of the Lakota tribe in North Dakota or whatever. I think that's where they are. Like, you know, like, um, and he's the keeper of the, the white buffalo prophecy or whatever, you know, like, and so apparently the, the, the Native Americans in that tribe had said one of their, one of their big prophecies that their elderly people said was going to happen on planet earth was that there was going to be a period of time where white animals would start appearing to people all over the place and they would start being born and, you know, there were, there would be an awareness about them. And so right around the time when this whole white lion thing happened, I remember I started seeing articles about white reindeer was in someone's backyard in like Pennsylvania or something, you know, or like, you know, like a, a white cougar, a rare white cougar was spotted in the jungles of the Amazon and a white, you know, elephant or, or giraffe. Someone had poached a white giraffe. There were only like three of them. They killed off one. So now there's two left on the earth, you know, like all these white animals, articles about them started popping up. And this prophecy says that there is going to be a period of time in the world when these white animals are going to be born and, and it's going to be an indication that we are in a time when the earth is going to be in this very delicate place where, you know, like we're just at a cusp of either completely and like destroying ourselves, you know, like the human race, like we're going to kill ourselves off. The earth isn't going anywhere. It never has, you know, but we, we are either going to kill ourselves off and kill lots of things off along with us or, we can make the changes that we need to make to get to some kind of peaceful resolution and start taking care of where we're living, you know? And, um, and so I read that two years ago, 
and I saw a video on YouTube about him two years ago talking about this prophecy. And then recently in this last week, when all this stuff happened with, you know, Palestine and Israel or whatever, I remembered him again. And I was like, I wonder if he's saying something right now again, you know, so I went and looked him back up again. And I found another article that was just published September 23rd of him with a new video talking about the same exact thing again. And it's just like, I know that that's important, you know, like it's almost like it, it, for me to get to that information the way that I did, I already know that whatever is out there on the other side is like, you guys need to listen to this guy, you know, like, I mean, he knows what he's talking about. And, um, and, and his whole thing was everyone needs to go into like a deep meditative state, like your, whatever faith that you are in, whatever religion you practice go to your prayer places if it's at home or your temple or your mosque or your synagogue or whatever it is and go pray like because we're we're being bombarded with messages from all these different people around us all the time and i think one of the things that i want to start really teaching my patients how to do is stop listening to everyone on social media and things like that i mean yes there's a place for listening to podcasts and like listening to other people speak but then there's also a time to you for you to you need to go inside yourself and get the answers for you you know and then come up with them yourself like I did when I didn't know whether I should move or not and you need to start doing that because I think if everyone started doing that collectively and really understood how this stuff works and heeded the guidance that they get you know like like you listen to it and and start moving your life in that direction we will collectively all together start doing what we're supposed to be doing mm. does that make sense Oh my God. Yes. A billion times it does. Yes. It's, yes, Karen. That's it. Yeah. And it's actually about, to me, it's about ending conflict within. So once each yeah. one of us end our own conflicts then within, the other conflicts then are going to end too. Yes, yes. That's you know? it. And I know I sound yeah. like one of those like Buddha, like, <laughs> but it's like, I, yeah, that's it. I get why they say that now. Before I used to listen to, there's a difference between listening to them and playing around with it, but truly like deeply understanding it and then practicing it. Like there's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it takes uh, those experiences that you had and that I had and so many people have to really kind of realize this truth. And for some of us, they need the guidance from people like you, just listening to you. Maybe that's what they're waiting for. Oh, she went through this. So, and you know, like this, it's almost like passing on the flavor of that insight. You have to pass on the flavor, but then ultimately, and especially as a clinician, this is one of the things that we're taught, is that you have to, it's like almost like you are the training wheels on the bicycle for them for like a period of time. You teach them how to meditate. You teach them how to figure out what their power animal is or whatever. You teach them, you know, these different things. But then after you're done doing that, they need to go and start implementing it on their own and then coming back and sharing what they experienced. And I did have one patient who profoundly changed in like a few months. I mean, he was so angry at women and the world and all kinds of things. And, you know, like came to me and was religiously confused. And, you know, like we went through letting him go through the confusion and falling out of faith and then coming back to faith. And, you know, like um, I taught him some of these things. I gave him the books to read. He had some experiences and he's just like on the other side now doing so much better. And I'm just like, you know, it works. Like you have to go within your therapist can only help you so much, but the answers really lie inside of us and they will come to you in ways that are totally catered for you. Like I've never, since I started doing this, I've never been given guidance 
for something that wasn't like exactly my personality. The name of my business was given to me. I did not come up with it myself. Global psych is my personality, you know, like, um, what to do with my Instagram posts was given to me. I did not actively sit there figuring that out. Something had told me proverbs from around the world. I was like, what does that even mean? Then I found a book called proverbs from around the world. And I started, you know, like making posts. And I mean, is it as cool as everyone else's Instagram? No, it's really boring. Actually. I don't even have pictures of myself on there, but I just did whatever it told me to do. And I'm still doing it slowly when I feel like it. And then, you know, like, um, Hawaii was it one of them. I didn't want to leave, you know, the Bay Area. I was very comfortable, like in California. I had made friends over there and then I had to. And, you know, like I was guided here. And then once I came here, like, you know, I just have had beautiful awakening experiences here. And I know why it brought me here. It was part of the whole thing. The energy of this place does that to you, you know, like and then the ocean and its healing properties and everything and being able to do the work that I do and have the water by me is very important. So, you know, like it, it just, it's almost like it knows, it knows me. It knows, it has, it knows my purpose. It knows how to guide me to places and put me in situations that are the safest for me and the most peaceful for me, you know, like, and you just have to kind of just like learn how to do that for yourself. Yes. Yes. And I know, as you know, you're being guided and that's what I mean also by you guiding others. But you're right. We cannot do it for them. So you're giving them the you're giving them the catalyst, you know, but the ultimate work has to be on their own. And um, and then we're here to help them integrate, you know, as clinicians and things. And, you know, this whole plant medicine movement now is facilitating it even faster. Like if if you're going to start doing the shrooms, you're going to start connecting. And then, you know, like you, you the things start happening then. So. Yes. Yeah. So it seems like, I don't know, I, I call it spiritual revolution. <laughs> it is a spiritual is revolution happening. or a consciousness <laughs> revolution. Or, yeah. you know, it's it's very <laughs> much so a revolution right now. And even Chief Arvel Looking Horse said that he had a vision that people from every country are going to get together with plant medicines around fires and they're going to expand their consciousness. Like, you know, like I think that's kind of happening. Like the ayahuasca retreats are expanding, you know, like throughout the world. There's like more and more people experimenting with, you know, psilocybin universities, Yale, Harvard, they've been coming out with all this research about how it helps with PTSD and post-traumatic, you know, stress. Like this is why it helps because it helps people see that there's a bigger something out there than what they just, than that one experience that they had that sucked, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like we are living in a a very interesting It is such an interesting time, you know, it really, really is. And it's happened before. I think that, you know, it happens in cycles. Like the people that are like, that were you know, in their 20s, in the 70s, they remember what it was like back then in the 70s when the whole plant medicine movement happened back then and the LSD and everything was big, but then it went away and now it's back again, you know, and, but, you know, throughout these times of history, these, these medicines have, I don't, I don't think LSD is a medicine, by the way, like I, I am only for the plant stuff, but like, you know, like I think that these experiences um, have helped people get push them past getting the stuck phase of trauma, you know, like, and, and being able to move forward with their life in a productive way where they feel like a connection and a meaning to the work that they're doing and, and a sense of belonging in the world so that they're not running around feeling like all alone and isolated and depressed and like wanting Mm. to commit suicide. Mm. Yes. Right. From personal healing to universal wisdom, right? Karen, in the way that's what it does. Ah, wow. This is amazing. 
Thank you so much for sharing That's you with us. I don't us. Know if you have any more questions, but I think that's kind of, yeah. Yeah, so we're almost at the end, and I just want to make sure that I have we have explored all the uh, the topics that we were meant to explore here, although I love spontaneity, just going mm-hmm. with the flow and just kind of... But there's anything else here? I know the books, I would like to mention the books that you recommend. The Leap, The Psychology of Spiritual Awakening by Steve Taylor, I think his name mm-hmm. is. Yes. And then the other one is A New Science of the Afterlife, Space, Time, and the Consciousness Code by yes. Danielle Drazen. Drazen. Yeah. Thank yes. you. So these are the two books that you recommend. But most of all, I would love to hear more about how to meet you. What's the best place to find you, Karen, if somebody wants to talk to you? <laughs> if someone wants to find me, yes. they, they can find me at my website. Um, globalpsych.com and um, I'm licensed in Hawaii, Texas and Vermont and um, I'm not a coach like a life coach. If I did life coaching then I could probably start seeing people wherever you know but I haven't gotten to that point yet Um, but those are the three states right now that I can see people. Vermont is temporary. It's like they had a shortage of clinicians and um, I got like their temporary tele license and it was supposed to be for a year but then they they moved it forward another year. I think in January no, it's either January or June, then it's going to expire. But they might just allow us to keep it permanently after that. So um, those are the three states for now. And Hawaii is where I live. I mean, you know, the beaches that I hang out at is where you'll find me. Like Kaimana Beach is my big place where I go. Um, and then, you know, other little beaches around here. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I love the ocean. You see, because it kind of, to me, represents the depth, you know, of of the human psyche or the human soul. The, the deeper ocean we go, is incredible. Yeah. Yes. I I honestly, oh my God, I had the most profound experience in the ocean. It's worth talking about. Okay. And it's my dad related too. It's death related. So it's definitely worth talking about. This was in my top three spiritual experiences, I guess, or consciousness if I've ever had. So I recently decided that I was getting bored. And that happens sometimes in life. You just get bored. And I needed something to kind of stir things up so there this is shark season in hawaii right now and they have these like shark diving tours and there's a company called one ocean and i was like there was a group on and i'm like you know i've swam with the dolphins and i've swam with the sea turtles i'm like let me just book the shark diving tour and most people do it in a cage but this was like open water swimming with the sharks you know and i'm like it sounds crazy and kind of like pseudo like you know self-destructive but i mean Uh, the reviews were so amazing and everyone was like, that was the best thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm like, if everyone's saying that it's got to be safe, you know, they would not take people out there if the sharks were eating everyone. And so then I decided to book this tour and I'm sitting there on the boat that morning. This was just last, not this, not yeah, Last Wednesday, this was last week. So I'm on the boat and the guy's explaining to us the meaning behind these sharks in Hawaii. And so in Hawaii, the shark is considered like an animal that is, um, spiritual and it's linked to deceased people stuff you know like in some ways he's explaining all that and i was just listening and then you know we get into the water when the boat stops and there's like four tiger sharks and two great whites uh right there when i got into the water and i was just like whoa and so they're swimming around me and i'm like okay and i'm thinking this is it like these are the sharks i'm gonna see today and i'll look at them for a little bit and i'll go up on the boat But, you know, we were just in there and then there were some people that were next to me and we're holding on to that rope. There's a rope that they let you hold on to. And um, and so I'm holding on to the rope and just looking around at these sharks and they're doing their own thing. Very harmless, like 
honestly, they didn't care that I was there or anyone. They were just doing their own thing and we're observing them. And then I did this for about like 20 minutes, maybe, you know, and I was getting a little bored. And then, and, and then I was like, okay, maybe I'll go back on the boat. And then I kind of was looking around in the water. And then my dad randomly passes my thoughts. I don't know why. Like I just all of a sudden thought about him. Part of it was like my health insurance isn't going to kick in until January. I have to do the open enrollment in November. And I was like, why am I doing this without health insurance? That's a bad idea. But then I was like, you know, it'll be okay. And then I asked my dad, I was like, can you please just make sure that I'm safe and okay? Cause I don't have health insurance right now. So I said that in my head, like thoughts, right? And everything's energy and that's how they communicate on the other side. They don't have human language. It's all energy back and forth transfer, like what we would think through thoughts, right? So I thought about him all of a sudden, and I had that little message go out to him. I'm not lying. In that exact moment when I did that, imagine we're like in water that was like probably like, I think 90 feet deep or something like it was deep. And the sharks that I was seeing were like around us, you know, more towards the surface. You cannot see down there. It was just way too deep to see the bottom, the floor bottom of the ocean, you know. All of a sudden, I see like 60 reef sharks in a school start emerging from like underneath the surface, like, you know, like, like way deep down, like they're coming up, floating slowly up towards me, like 60 of them. They're just like gently floating up, up, up. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I remember like, I could hear, I was the first one to see it, right? No one else noticed it because they were looking around at the other ones. And I just remember looking down. I had just thought about my dad and he was, I, I'm convinced he did that. I am just convinced he wanted to play with me and show me the magic of the sharks. So these animals, they just start coming up and they're, it's like, the only way I could describe it was, you know, when you see fish swimming in a school, they have a pattern, like, Sometimes they look like they're blooming and sometimes they look like they're following. This was a bloom. So it looked like 60 sharks, like in this bloom that was slowly, gently floating up towards me. And I like kind of like squealed underwater with my mask on. And then the girl next to me heard me and she looked down and she's like, and I could hear her squeal. And then the instructor was near us and she looked down and she's like, oh my gosh. And you know, like, I don't even think she sees that every day, you know? And everyone was like in awe of this like mass school of like like little reef sharks that just kind of came up slowly and then they were all around us like just imagine being surrounded by like these reef sharks and like you're just amidst it you know like and it was so beautiful but they were below us a little bit you know so it didn't feel scary and then you're supposed to stay a level above them for like hierarchy stuff and then she asked me she goes do you want to come off the line and dive down with them you know and I was so scared at first so I said no the first time, but then the second time she kind of nudged me again and she held my hand and she took me out there and then I freaked down and I was like really close to them, you know, like, and it was just such a magic experience. But I, I, I just don't think that's coincidental that the guy was talking about the death stuff on the boat. And then I had that random thought about my dad. And then all of a sudden in that exact moment, like 60 reef sharks just come up from like God knows where. Yeah. Yes, that's the energy, a transmission of the energies. Of course, everything is connected in thoughts. Yeah, that's how we receive those energetic messages yeah yeah i'll never forget that day. i can yeah. imagine i mean i was just trying to visualize everything here with the feelings in my body thank you so much for sharing again sharing you your experience your wisdom and passing that on to us yeah. people yeah. who already know like myself but those who who don't 
it is just still like it has the same impact. I hope that it same just impact. opens up their mind a little bit that's it. or it makes them curious, you know, like yes. if I leave them with that, I'd be happy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was one of my last questions. If there's one message you wish everyone to take with them, what would that be? Just, you know, be open to experiences outside of what you've learned your whole life. Mm. That's it. Like yes. if everyone's told you sharks are scary, go swim with them and find out the truth. You know, yes. if everyone's told you this, just uh. be open to considering something else. You know, you can always go back to your original set of whatever, like if you want to. And, you know, like no one's stopping you from doing that. But just openness, you know, like open yourself up. Try things, you know, like be curious, read books that are different, you know, like and and and. And see what happens after that. Yeah. Right. How beautiful. Thank you so much again, Kira. Okay. For sharing you with us. It was, it was really us. Um, a pleasure speaking with Thank you. Thank you. So we'll be in touch again. Take good care of yourself. Okay. And yeah, bye for now. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Kiran Syed and her work, please visit globalpsych.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.